King James Dixon on the 13th of May. This goes out on the 26th of May. What will have happened 28 years ago to the day, May 26th? Pertinently to me, it's the 28th anniversary of the first ever UEFA Champions League final uh, between Olympic Marseille and AC Milan. Uh, Basil Bali scored the goal to give Marseille and France their only ever victory in either the Champions League or the European Cup. But it's not really about the story of, of that match, as, as interesting as that match is, and it's fine. It's the story of what happened after that. Uh, and the match-fixing allegations that became to be proven against Marseille and the range of punishments or lack of them uh, that were meted out by the French Federation and UEFA. And it's just a dark, sort of seedy, but to me, incredibly interesting part of European Cup and Champions League history. Yeah, it was that hangover year between the proper group stages and the knockout competition. And this competition, as well described, the 92-93 European Champions League, formerly known as the Champions Cup. Uh, We will start in the game, since you don't want to bang on about it. Who was the captain of Marseille? Didier Deschamps. Yes, but who was the captain of Marseille when Rangers came from 2-0 down to draw with Marseille? Oh, I'm guessing it's not Didier Deschamps. Begins with a C. I don't think he played in the final. I could be Bernard Cassoni. Yeah, when I when I looked back uh, to see that, I think that's very strange. Do you have any idea as to why Kasami was the captain against Rangers but not against Milan? Well, Kasami was sort of being phased out of the team and Deschamps isn't the World Cup winner, the Euros winner that we come to associate with him now, and obviously World Cup winner as a manager. He'd been out on loan at Nantes, um, he'd been with Mar- in the Marseille ecosystem for a little bit while, but he had spent a season out on loan. I guess he just hadn't fully established himself. I mean, one of the things about this Marseille team is it's radically different from the team that got to the 1991 European Cup final against Red Star Belgrade, one of the uh, the great teams of all time and one of the most disappointing European Cup finals of all time. So they've had a huge shift Um Essentially, the money starts to dry up. Tappy, Bernard Tappy, who's the owner, uh, starts to become a bit more interested in politics and a bit less interested in the football club as of sort of 92. He's become a cabinet minister in, the, um, in, the, uh, in Francois Mitterrand's socialist government. Uh, lovely billionaire socialist, but, you know, we can, we can park that. The money's starting to dry up from, from Marseille. They're moving on from some of their more expensive players. Waddle's come back to England with Sheffield Wednesday. Papin has moved on to uh, Milan, and he will actually play against them in the final in 93. And they're sort of going younger and cheaper. You've stumped me a little. I don't know exactly why uh, uh, Deschamps was the captain there, but he, he's sort of growing into the role as, as, as the season develops. Thank you. I just found that very interesting. Uh, the book is called The Fix, and it is subtitled How the First Champions League Was Won and Why We All Lost. We will get to the subtitle in the second half of this short chat, uh, and we'll also talk about Glasgow Rangers. Uh, who was the top scorer in the first Champions League? Clue, he won the World Cup oh. in 1994. It's Romario. Romario, yes, who uh, yeah. predated my love of football. How good was he? Romario was amazing when he could be bothered. That correct which was answer. not all the time. He was uh, sensational and quite clearly the best thing about that PSV team. But he was also 
an incredibly difficult teammate at that time. And I think they were quite glad to be rid of him. And this at the end of this 92-93 season, it's a bad season for PSV. They sort of um, they don't have a good time in Group B. Uh, they lose to uh, IFK Gothenburg. They, uh, they don't do well against Porto and they lose both games against Milan. It's a very unhappy period for them. And at the end of the season, Romario and PSV part company, and he goes he goes to Barcelona where he's given a little bit more freedom. Probably respects Cruyff as a manager a bit more, the PSV manager. But you know, when he, when he wanted to play, oh my god, what a player! You know, and he wasn't the quickest, but he had such acceleration. You know, he, the speed of thought. You know, going from his brain to his feet, and he could just move quicker than most defenders and get in the right place. Uh, and there's a there's a there's a there's a fantastic hat trick that he scores um, this uh, this season. I think in the second round. But yeah, he's yeah, absolutely fantastic player. Yeah, doesn't really get spoken of in the modern generation because of Phenomeno Ronaldo and the other ones. Uh, This was the era of the three foreigner rule that was abolished with Bosman. So this is a a weird period of European football where English fans, uh, English clubs had been allowed back in. Um, The money was coming in, but not essentially. And UEFA were in control. Were UEFA pleased that a French team won the competition? They would obviously profess strict neutrality. Uh, at the time, UEFA, the president is a Swede, Lennart Johansson. The, the general secretary is a German. Um, but I think, yeah, they're, I think they were pleased. And certainly, it's um, it's it's a nice historical nod because the European Champions Club Cup was set up by the French newspaper L'Equipe, uh, Gabriel Hanno, and it was really a, a, a French effort to bring it into existence. So it was very nice for them to finally uh, to fight to finally win it. I don't think you know uh, you know various people have different theories. And, and when I spoke to say Gary McAllister for the book, he talked about the power that the German FA had in UEFA at the time. So you know maybe Stuttgart would have been the preferred winner. I don't know, um, but yeah, I, th- I think overall they were happy that uh, that Marseille won. Uh, and that Marseille team featured a chap who would go on to play for Man United and a chap who would go on to play for Chelsea. Were the stirrings there, obviously because they won the Champions League, but Fabien Barthez and Marcel Desailly, when Bosman came into effect, uh, they both came to England. Were their best days at Marseille or do you think they gazumped their success while at English clubs? I would probably say that their best days came in between the period where they were at Marseille and, and sort of moved to the Premier League in, in, in the twilight of their career. For Desailly, that's almost certainly Milan. He was imperious um, at his time there, particularly his performance in the 1994 Champions League final against Barcelona, scoring one of the goals. Um, absolutely fantastic. Um, for Barthez, probably his time at Monaco, I would say, was when he was playing at his peak. Both phenomenal players who performed except, you know, above and beyond what could have been expected of them, given where they were at in their careers at, the, uh, at, at Marseille in 1993. And it's absolutely no coincidence that you've got this triumvirate of Barthez, Desai and Deschamps that run through the success here in 93 in the Champions League and then the World Cup in 98 and the Euros in 2000. Yeah, that is fascinating. Um, what was it like 
looking back on the Rudy Voller versus Frank Rijkaard debacle because they came up against each other. Voller as one of Marseille's three foreigners, Rijkaard one of Milan's three foreigners. Were there any hard tackles? And you could tackle from behind in those days as well. There were, and to be honest, Voller and Rijkaard had, had already put the incident in the 1990 World Cup behind them. They'd done a sort of tongue-in-cheek commercial for German TV, I think. Butter? Promoting butter? Back, back when you just promoted generic things. But yeah, there was a Chris Waddle-Stewart PS Pizza Hut equivalent of an ad, a TV advert that would involve Rijkaard and Voller. And I think the, the really important thing to say is... Rudy Voller is one of the, the gentlemen of world football. From what I can tell, never bore ill will to Frank Rijkaard because of that, uh, you know, disgusting act of sportsmanship in the 1990 World Cup, and could have easily, you know, held a grudge for a long period of time, um, but didn't. Moved on, and uh, you know, I've, I've got a very high opinion of Rudy Voller. So you're saying that uh, his reputation should get better and better and better. Good. Sure. <laughs> I'd like to put in a couple of Easter eggs for the listener. That's fine. You can have that one. Thank you. Uh, for AC Milan, uh, whose chairman we will get to with uh, painful acuity, I blinked three times when I saw who was the sub-keeper uh, on the bench for Milan. And this was the great team of Maldini, Albertini, Costa Curta, Baresi, was the captain, Donadoni, the most expensive player in the world, Claudio Lentini, Carlo Cudicini. What on earth yeah. was he doing in the squad? Was he very, very good? Obviously, a great player because of what he did. What he did in uh, what he did with Chelsea, fantastic goalkeeper, very highly regarded, in my opinion. You know, and possibly uh, eased out of Chelsea a little bit too soon. Just you know, I guess that's what happens when you have the chance to sign someone of the calibre of Petr Cech. Um, but no, he was just he was a young Italian goalkeeper just taking up a bench spot. Didn't didn't really trouble uh, the Milan first team at this time. It's, it's an interesting sort of footnote, but he, it wasn't like he was challenging um, uh, Rossi for first team place or anything. There haven't been many African winners of the... Well, the first African winner of the Champions League um, was Ayu. Is that a Baby Pele? Yes, it is a, it is a Baby Pele. Uh, he's not the first African to win the European Cup, and this is bad of me. Ah, oh, the name has gone. There was an Rhea? Algerian uh, player um, for Porto in 1987 who was very good and very influential in their in their win. He was the first African uh, player, but uh, Abedi Pele is the first Sub-Saharan African player to uh, to to win the European Cup or Champions League. Phenomenal talent. Uh, probably just a little bit past his best. He wins BBC African Footballer of the Year in, in 91, 92. And I think he sort of gets it in 93 and a bit, on a bit of reputation because Marseille have won the Champions League. But, oh, you go, you know, go on YouTube, just look at Marseille videos from that time. That, particularly when the front three is Papin, Waddle and Pelé. They just tear teams apart. And not just teams in the French League, you know, but what they did to AC Milan in 1991 in the European Cup quarterfinals, you know, stands the test of time. Just the movement and the understanding that those three had uh, is phenomenal. I can tell you that it was Raba Madjer. Yes, 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 yes. For yes. Porto in 1987. Completely forgot Porto had won it that year. Uh, so that's the final. Marseille win. Everything is fine. Uh, let's go back to the start of things. I've just been told that you're a Birmingham City fan. Um, yes. The book 
Bumpf says that you delighted watching Rangers, Glasgow Rangers. Oh, I did. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, was, I was very young and impressionable at the time. And in 92, 93, we just had the Premier League taken off terrestrial TV and put behind the paywall with Sky. This is the Champions League and European football is my football that I can watch. And we have, I get very invested first in the Leeds team, watch their game against Stuttgart, their three games against Stuttgart. Then the Battle of Britain, which was huge at the time in the playgrounds and in the papers and everything. Leeds against Rangers, you know, just phenomenal, phenomenal games. They wouldn't allow away fans because the fear of violence mm. between the two sets of clubs was so high. And then, you know, I just, you know, did what, a, what you did at those times. You supported the English or British teams that were in the, Euro, in the European competitions. There wasn't this sense of huge sort of club tribalism where you wouldn't support Arsenal because, you know, no Man United fans wouldn't support Arsenal. It, it, was, it was a different time where you would, you know, you would get behind all the English or all the British teams in going into Europe. And, you know, I just followed Rangers for the for their next six games and their champion, their, you know, which was the Champions League group stage. Uh, and, you know, as a young, impressionable kid, I was devastated when they failed to make the final. Yeah, and in fact, they played, as we've said, they played Marseille twice, they scored the two of the four goals that Marseille conceded in the group stages. Milan, of course, kept five clean sheets. Do you know that stat that when Maldini and Baresi played together, they only let in about 23 goals total in about 200 games? That can't be true. That's what, I I, that's what the card it. says. I think it's sort of got maybe exaggerate. I mean, they were great. And don't, 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 don't get me wrong with me. There's some... I've gone back and looked at like the history of Serie A to get some comparisons for you know, how good certain Milan teams were. There's times where people, you know, people aren't, you know, getting scored. Some teams aren't scoring 20 goals a season um, across, across a whole campaign. You know, it's, it's not taking anything away from them. I just, I just can't imagine they get, they, they, you know, that's basically saying nine out of 10 games ended in a clean sheet. Yeah. It just, it didn't quite happen that way. They were great. They were fantastic. But they also, there's occasions when they made mistakes there's a couple, you know, and I'll probably point them out in the book because I'm surprised by them so much, but there's certainly a couple of occasions where I, I have actually found Franco Baresi mistakes going back and watching I'm, I, watching YouTube where he's out of position and whatnot. So I just wonder whether that's a bit sort of like Mandela effect and we've all got a yeah. bit of a false memory of how good they were. I can't remember who it was that pointed it out. Um, but I will, it's been one of the many chats that we had in the football library. By the way, you get your laminated library card. If you want Karen Brady on it, I can put Karen on it, but it's Brian Glanville otherwise. Karen, you know, me and Karen go way back. Make sure you get the double R though. She she doesn't like it if you misspell her name. Well, that's why I'm going to put Lady Brady or Baroness Brady. Yeah, right. (laughs) The the first lady of Birmingham City. Indeed. I'm, I'm not going to bring up Birmingham because there are quite troublesome things going on at that football club but um, I wish you well for next season as I do every (laughs) season Birmingham have never played in the Champions League Rangers have Uh, here's something interesting Michael Cox in his book The Mixer said that football changed with the abolition of the back pass did you sense in the 92-93 Champions League that the football was better because the back pass uh, changed the game, certainly the defensive aspects of the game. Yeah, and, and this season in particular is the first season where it, 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 it's come in 
and some of the goalkeepers are absolutely terrified. John Lukic, bless that man, he was twice a league winner, once with Arsenal, once once with Leeds, and he looked like he'd never seen a football before at some times. And that then led into his sort of confidence and some of the keepers' confidence. And we definitely, I definitely think you get more mistakes in this season, like goalkeeping mistakes, than normal. Not necessarily all to do with feet, but I just think they were a bit sort of discombobulated and unsure of themselves. And it takes a few years either because by you know keepers getting used to it by 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 playing with their feet more, or you know coming through the the, the age group ranks knowing nothing but you know having the back pass rule in place for things to sort of even even out. But yeah, a few of them have have shockers, and, and John Lukic, you know. Is, is probably one of them. It's one of the reasons why Leeds go for, and it's certainly not the only reason, I'm not putting it all on Lukic, but Leeds go from winning the title in 1992 to barely surviving relegation in 1993. And, you know, the way that the back pass rule changed, the way that they were able to play, because what they often did was when they were in trouble, knock it back to Lukic, he'd kick it longer to, looking for Lee Chapman and then reset. And they just weren't able to do that anymore. It's astonishing even that they got to the second round. So there were eight teams in the preliminary round for the tournament, which included, was it Valletta? And there was a team from Ukraine. I, yeah. I, I was going to ask you if you remember and, all eight of them. Uh, it is Tavira Sinopol. I can't say it. Tavira from Ukraine. It's Shelbourne from Ireland. It's KI from the Faroe Islands. It's Skonteriga from Latvia, Valletta from Malta, Maccabi Haifa from Israel, who who are the only who are a continental champion, but not a European champion because they won the Asian uh, club championship sometime in the seventies, which is an, a little tidbit there. Very good. And Norma Tallinn from Estonia, Olympia Ljubljana from Slovenia. Gosh, I'm really glad I asked you that because um, that shows that you have written this book about the 92-93 first Champions League, the UCL. Uh, the first round, give me the name of the team who won 9-0 on aggregate. Is that Porto against Union of Luxembourg? Absolutely right. There were two teams who won there, as far as I can tell. Two big teams won 8-0. Name either or both of them on aggregate. Marseille beat Glen Torren of Northern Ireland. Um, that's one of my favourite stories from the book because I spoke to a lot of Glen Torren uh, players who were, that was basically one of the highlights of their career. And the other 8-0, it would have been PSV against Zalgris of Lithuania. There's no, I can't get anything past you. Uh, Milan won 7-0 on aggregate. So then comes the second round, the champions of Scotland drawn against the champions of England. Was there a hoo-ha in the press about them? Because after the Italian 90, football had become a more popular sport. Fever Pitch came out in 92. I don't know if you read it. Uh, but yeah, Rangers leads. Oh, yeah. Fever Pitch has a great bit about Arsenal-Benfica from, 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 from the season before. Um, and, you know, Arsenal trying to get into the, the, the same sort of stage, but it was not branded up as the Champions League. Um, yeah, a, a short answer is there was a massive. It was a massive deal. Rangers playing Leeds. Um, it brought back a lot of memories of um, another huge um, uh, sort of battle of Britain, European Cup semi final between Leeds and Celtic from 1970, uh, which Celtic which Celtic won. They actually moved that game to Hampden 
and had a crowd of over 130,000 because, you know, Parkhead or no one in Parkhead or something. Yeah. So, yeah, it would have been Parkhead. Parkhead could just, there just would have been too many people who wanted to go. So it was it was absolutely massive. There were no away fans allowed. And there was a sort of added dimension as well because Leeds had quite a Scottish contingent. They had Strachan, they had McAllister, whereas and Rangers had a strong English contingent in terms of Mark Haley, Trevor Stephen, and, you know, and, and previously people like Chris Woods had been there as well. So there was, it was all a bit jumbled up. But yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was honestly huge. Two games, IT, you know, the games were on ITV and, you know, whatever, you know, was before STV up in Scotland. The country stopped and, and watched those two games. I remember playing a FIFA game and the relish at which John Motson wrapped his tongue around Mikhailachenko has stayed with me for 25 years. Mikhailachenko was um, one of Rangers' three foreigners. They had Richard Goff, Andy Gorham, uh, Mark Haightley and Ali McCoist. Um, so should, could Rangers have advanced to a semi-final? Because something rather strange happened after that second round. We go into the group stage, don't we? Yeah. And then the group stage so, uh, winners go straight to a final. Yeah, so it, it, it's it's all part of, and I don't want to scoop what we're talking about later, but it's all part of a, a move to provide more income from European football towards the bigger clubs. You know, I think, and with some justification, uh, well, I agree with the clubs to an extent, that European football in the 80s was underdeveloped. The big teams didn't play each other anywhere near enough. Now, now they play each other far too much, but we can, you know, we'll talk about the left. But the, they were trying to get themselves more games. And the idea was that the, for these eight teams, they would be guaranteed six group games plus their four to qualify. So that's at least 10 games from European football. Whereas previously, you might draw, go back to 1987, Napoli draw Real Madrid in the first round and one of them's out. They've lost that, you know, that potential income from a long European Cup run. Uh, both in terms of television and sort of match day income as well. So, yeah, so Rangers effectively end up in the semi-finals because they, they play second in the group and they're the, uh, and they, they give the strongest challenge to Marseille. Obviously, had they been paired up in quarterfinals, you know, say they got Club Bruges in the quarterfinal, you know, you don't know that they would have necessarily advanced to that semi-final, but I think it's it's kind of fair for Rangers fans to consider themselves Europe, you know, European Cup semi-finalists from this season. Yeah, they could have got a medal or something. Something that is astonishing uh, with recent events with uh, the European Whack Whack League, which we'll talk about later. No English clubs made the second round because there was only one English club, the champions, in the tournament. So the eight teams that make the group stages played home and away... Uh, were they all broadcast? Would ITV have picked up the Rangers matches against Bruges and Cheska Moscow as well as Marseille? Yeah, although at the time ITV was regional, it wasn't guaranteed that you were. Each region could decide whether they were going to show. The big regions like Central, Granada, and uh, and Thames and London tended to. Um, but if you were, you know, in Anglia or you know in Wales, there was no. It wasn't, it wasn't universal that they'd be showing matches live. If they were showing matches live, though, it was always the Rangers ones. They weren't dipping in and going, "Oh, that 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 Milan Gothenburg game seems interesting. We'll put that on." That just wasn't on the agenda. 
Well, it would have been interesting, Milan PSV, because Milan had Van Basten, who, um, what was, well, Van Basten was the world's best player in 92-93, do you think? Um, I mean, so subjective. I'd never like to critical of Van Basten, but, you know, he, he did miss the penalty in Euro 92 that allowed Denmark to advance, and he was probably not as sharp as he was in sort of, you know, between 88 and 89, but still one of one of the all-time great strikers. And it's a very sad, uh, I don't know if this is where you go, but it's a very sad tale of what happens to him this season. He has some really great highs. Uh, he scores four goals in the first group stage match against Gothenburg, uh, you know, in the same game, he just absolutely obliterates Gothenburg in that game. But the, his last ever professional game of football is also this season's Champions League final, uh, essentially because of an injury he sustained to his ankle and a botched surgery, and then trying to come back a little bit too soon because Milan was struggling for form. All of these sorts of um, uh, forces combine, and by, by you know May 1993, he's played his last game of football. Yeah. Uh, and he has written about that in his memoir, which is in the football library. I do have quite a high threshold uh, for football literature. I'm trying to think of Birmingham players. Emil Heskey. Yeah. Emil Heskey, who, uh, who I, uh, my very sad, lame claim to fame is I once asked Emil Heskey to leave a Nando's restaurant. Oh, um, go on. Many, many years ago. Oh, it's, to be fair, it's very unkind of me to mention it because it wasn't him. It was, it was a member of his party who was being quite disruptive. And we, back when he was uh, playing in Leicester, mm-hmm. and we had to ask them to leave. But you know, I still like him. Now. That it's is, I, I always when I go up to the Edinburgh Fringe, I play fringe bingo. So if you've got an anecdote about, I don't know, opening a door for Tim Minchin, you get twenty points. Uh, so that's that's about fifteen points in the anecdote yeah, football it. anecdotes. Emil Heskey's played in the Champions League, hasn't he? You'd imagine so, with Liverpool. I can't remember. Even Heskey scored is the book. Two players who won the Champions League with Marseille each scored six goals that season. Who was better to watch, Frank Soze or one of the three foreigners, the Yugoslav turned Croatian, Alan Boxic? Uh, Hibernian fans will say Frank Soze. Uh, everyone else who is neutral will say Alan Boxic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I knew I recognised the name Soze, and I, I thought he may have played for Rangers. No, he, he he went and played in in Scotland for Hibernian, and is proper cult hero for for the Yeah, he had a rocket of a right foot, and he was scored some of the most um, outstanding sort of long range goals in this campaign, particularly the one against uh, Rangers in the Velodrome. In, in the end, secures Marseille's passage to the final. But creatively, Marseille wouldn't be anywhere near the final without Boxic. He comes in and replaces Papin and, uh, and Waddle, really. You know, him and Voller have to replace Papin and Waddle. And Boxic's form in this, in this season was just phenomenal. And it was, you know, really hitting, hitting the heights, you know, not just in goal scoring, but just in creativity too. Before we go to the second half, I wanted to mention something that is, um, at least in the biography on Pitch Publishing, uh, the website that is offering your book, The Fix. Tuesday Morning Football, the NFL podcast. Are you still doing it? Oh, no. That's a long time ago. I really enjoyed doing it. Uh, NFL is one of my first loves. And, uh, yeah, back when uh, podcasts were a bit, a bit more niche, uh, me, me and a couple of friends, we... Uh, we started putting out an American football podcast of a terrible play 
on Monday night football mm-hmm. because for us it was always in Tuesday morning uh, and that got really nice and big and we were able to go over and cover some games in America and you know go go and uh, go into team locker rooms and different things like that and it's just yeah it, 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 it was it was very nice but uh, it's 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 not what I do anymore mm-hmm. but I liked it I've I've never fully fully got gridiron. Uh, I think it's all the drugs and the dementia which puts me off. But I know all the big guys. Have Have you met a Manning? Have I met a Manning? No, I've met Rogers. Oh yeah. Uh, I've been in the I've been in the and he's obviously in the news at the moment. He was he was hosting uh, Jeopardy the uh, the the game show as they're sort of trialing out new potential hosts after the sad passing of Alex Trebek. Uh, so I've met a Rogers. Roethlisberger's. Sure any of them? Yeah, he's 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 been out. Yeah, he he was over in London when he was over in London when uh, when we were doing it. Yeah, so the Steelers came over and played the Jaguars. So yeah, uh-huh. I think that was the game. Do you expect in the next five years the London Hotspurs team to join the draft? No, I think there's too many sort of um, issues with it in terms of. Because the NFL is a very centralised sport and the, the players have a large say in it. There's a, what's called a collective bargaining agreement yep. between the Players Association and, and the 32 owners. I think there's too many tax and sort of job regulation things to sort of get sorted. And I think the, own, the owners are happy to develop the London market for money. Uh, and, the, and the players are happy with that too because it grows the amount of money that they get and therefore the, the share of the pie that they get and it's sort of a useful bargaining chip much like the Super League has been to say well we could do this and it sort of then will get negotiated down and, and it will never quite happen is my, is, my, is my best guess on the situation 